substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles. I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. Site got 2,200 hits within two hours? Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it says. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster when than any of us ever imagined get it left would behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and watch you write as a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. Uh, I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of the Film 89 podcast. I know the fans are probably wondering, what's this American guy that's on here. Where's my Welsh brothers? Well, the team has been gracious enough to let me slide into the host role, and today, as I discussed, 2010's David Fincher's The Social Network. But fear not, my friends, I've brought a partner to help me navigate through this awesome movie. My guest probably doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to do the best I can. A Jersey native who now resides in Kansas City. Uh, she's the president and founder of 1898 House, uh, Nell Lacker. She is also written for sites such as Pinland Empire and The Pink Smoke. She's a Kansas City librarian, so doing the Lord's work there. She's a public notary, a marriage officiant, a football fan of real football, not American football. And she's been on numerous podcasts such as The Wrong Real, Zebras in America, The Pink Smoke, In the Details, and she just started her new podcast, Brush Creek Film Review, so check that out. So it's my great honor and privilege to welcome Leanne Kubich for the first time to Film 89. Hi Leanne, how you doing? I'm doing so great, this is so awesome, I'm really happy we're actually like getting to talk finally, you know, like this, so this is awesome, and thank you to the guys at Film 89, you know, letting to Westerners, because uh, we're actually like West, well, Midwest and West Coasters taking over. Right. So we appreciate that in this weird time. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, appreciate you uh, trusting us uh, to talk about this very American story. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it actually, the story, in, in a way, kind of transcends, you know, even American, you know, just the, it's very almost Shakespearean in, in a way, and the, the, the tragedy of it, um, which I, I find so fascinating. 
Yeah, so um, we'll just run down a little bit about the movie. So again, as I said, it's from 2010, so we're coming up on the uh, 10th year anniversary of it. It was released in October 1st uh, of 2010. The budget was $40 million. Opening weekend was $22.4 million, so about half of its budget back. Domestic gross was $96.9 million, and worldwide gross was $224 million, almost $225 million. It was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Cinematography, and Sound Mixing, and won three for Adapted Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, who's brilliant, uh, Film Editing for Kirk Baxter and Angus Wall, and Original Score by the great Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, which I know we will get into. It's based on the book The Accidental Billionaire by Ben Mezik. And yeah, so it's uh, one of those films that when I heard about it, I thought this sounds like the most boring movie ever. I have no interest in seeing this movie. Um, but then, of course, when my favorite director is attached to it and you have a screenplay by Aaron Sorkin, it, you, I had to see it. And I didn't see it in the theaters, but I did see it um, actually... Well, uh, full disclosure, I did see like kind of an illegal co- a screener copy because at the time my first uh, daughter was born and we weren't really spending money on movies. But it was the f- one of the few movies that I actually watched and I rewatched it in sequent, you know, like just right after, um, which yeah, I was just so fascinated with this movie. But uh, Leanne, how did you get first introduced to this movie? Um, just two ways. I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. I have been since I was a kid. Um, so I was like, oh my god, he's doing this soundtrack for a Facebook movie like it made no sense so I was like I have to see this thing it must be absurd uh and of course I was a David Fincher fan so I was like well we'll see what this thing is all about because I was like like you said sounds like the most boring movie in the world and at the time too I mean it's it was weird when it came out and watching it now was really weird it just everything about it is strange but it worked and I was like wow this movie is actually kind of it's entertaining I've watched, it, I've watched it like twice in the past month. It's it's very entertaining. It's swift. It's fast. They, it, somehow they made it. We, they they put it together in a wonderful package that makes this very dry thing not dry. You know. Yeah, because I, I actually read the book. I um la- later on I bought the book and read it, and it is very dry. It's kind of a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if you want to call them facts. I mean, there are some stuff that are factual, like the blog that they had access to and some of the legal uh, paperwork. But a lot of the other stuff, it's just all kind of, you know, uh, hearsay. And, and, you know, people, they've talked to people that didn't want to be named, but that were part of that experience. Um, and, of course, Aaron Sorkin, you know, the I uh, take um, artistic liberties in creating um, the story. But, you know, when Sorkin talks about it, he says, you know, he was just mostly focused on creating a, an interesting story, um, which he's, you know, his scripts. I mean, I love his movies and, and he's been known and he was actually attached to direct at, at, you know, at one point. But they said, you know, if David Fincher passed, then he would take a, pa- you know, he would do it. And David Fincher ended up reading his script and the very famous opening scene, he he decided that if he can, if he got through the opening scene, I think it was nine pages long, because it's just full of dialogue, just fast dialogue. That if Rooney Mars character Eric Albright, if she punched Jesse Eisenberg, who played Mark Zuckerberg, in the face, then he was all in. But you know, they did it something a little bit different. But David Fincher was all in at that point, and that became this. Uh, awesome collaboration between Fincher, you know, his his style and Aaron Sorkin's writing. And in a way that without having it be a punch, it works better. She punches him in a way that hurts more. 
So the end of that scene is like perfect writing. Like they just got it really well done. Boom, worse the punch. Almost like a virtual punch. Yeah, you know, because exactly. it, it, it it you can see on on uh, Eisenberg's face. You know just how much how much that hurt again it was you know based on the blog this character and they changed the name but you know the movie does fictionalize his pursuit of trying to impress this 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 girl you know because he's kind of gotten his heart broken but uh, let's talk about that opening scene a little bit just saying i need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs why because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected president because he was a member of the Phoenix Club. He was a member of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was kidding. Although just because something's trait doesn't make it any less I want to try to be straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? We're not dating anymore, I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with me? You are going to introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because you used to sleep with the door guy. Door guy. His name is Bobby. I have not slept with the door guy. The door guy is a friend of mine, and he's a perfectly good class of people. And what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wait. I'm going back to wait, my door. Wait, wait. Is this real? Yes. Okay, then wait. I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica? Yes. I'm sorry. I mean it. I appreciate that, but I have to go study. Come on. You don't have to study. You don't have to study. Let's just talk. I can't. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to... Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to BU. <laughs> Want to get some food? I am sorry you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. I'm sorry I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends I'm with you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be... You are probably going to be a very successful computer person. You're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because you're an asshole. So, you know, I've watched this film probably about two to four times a year just on on my own um, but I did listen to uh, again to both of the commentary tracks and one of the things that I wanted to point out is that they did 99 takes of this of this scene um, and actually Eisenberg who comes from a theater background loved doing the 99 takes and a lot of people will say you know like oh, 99 takes that's that's crazy you know like how much different can each take be but you know for the actors and 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 the director you know they they did, you know, they get little little parts um, from from each of the different performances. So, and again, the the opening scene, you know, was meant to kind of have the viewer catch up. Like they feel like they're just jumping into this thing and having to catch up with all this information and all this back and forth. So, I think it's very effective. At least for me, it was just kind of grabs me, and I'm I'm along for the ride. And it gives you a very good um, uh, set piece of like this is how these people live. This is because I don't come from that world. Yeah, I went to college, great. 
but I didn't go to that kind of college. I didn't hang out with those type of people. You know, I went to a regular state university with kids who were like on scholarship and we didn't, they were hardly, I mean, the frats were even like, what's that? That's a joke even. So we didn't even do that. We didn't have this whole social climbing thing. It was just like, yeah, we'll go to school. That's about it. What did you do? And these, I mean, they, these kids are serious. They're serious. They're serious about this life. And he, they have these weird social worlds that we don't even think about that are these high class or higher income worlds that they live in. And that there's even sh- hierarchies in that where he feels like he's a, like a low class guy. He went to Phillips Exeter as a high schooler. His parents are both doctors. This guy is not a low class guy, but he acts like he is because next to her, but then he acts like he's better than her because his school's better than her school. And you're thinking, wait, they're all Ivy League schools. How can these people have such class warfare between themselves? It's very interesting to see that there would be in that sort of social set, which I have no access to. So it was kind of cool that they give you all of that sort of exposition. Like, this is the world they're living in. It's very intense, all in this little world. And also thinking, my God, the continuity of just that scene to do it 99 times with all the people in the background and the waiters and the drinking and everything. Wow, that's good continuity people you have working there. <laughs> just to think of that. The director, Fincher, he also wanted um, he wanted uh, them, the background, to actually, the, the noise. They, they recorded it, and he wanted it to be very, like, like how it would be instead of um, having people kind of mime and, and the, you know, the actors just focusing on that. They kind of had to contend with the, with the sounds. And I think they did a little bit of mining, but, you know, that's kind of Fincher's, some of his style, uh, you know, that he does. But I also think, you know, when talking about the directing, the Fincher, this movie is kind of a little bit uh, departure to me for, for Fincher. You know, I'm used to kind of his, you know, there is dark darkness to it, but he's kind of, to me, he's very, has like kind of a metallic uh, industrial dark you know feel like you know from his uh you know movies like seven and the game um and to to this even though that there is darkness to it I, I do think that there is uh, a lot of differences it's kind of like a departure from from what he what he did previously and what, what do you think about that oh absolutely i mean it's funny because last year actually i was on wrong reel uh episode 486 and we talked about the music videos of david fincher and like his whole aesthetic there and obviously, they're music videos, but when you think about this movie, this is a very music video movie. If you take out that soundtrack, I don't know what this movie is. He needed that to propel it forward. His aesthetic is very much like, you know, clean, uh, everything, like you said, metallic, shininess. Uh, there's never dust, but there's dirt. There's like sweatiness, but there's never dirt. Um, it's that kind of thing. So this is a weird departure because he's dealing with young people, like really, really young people. And they're almost like sort of pr- or trying to mime it themselves into that world or they're trying to pretend they're older than they are and being slicker than they are so it's kind of funny that he dealt with this age group because he never does and you can't really make these guys glamorous they're never glamorous maybe when sean parker arrives there's a there's a touch (laughs) of glamour but you know that's what fincher always deals with glamour even making regular people look glamorous or interesting or pretty even like gone girl which is kind of about regular people which have extraordinary circumstances but right so yeah this is a weird one because it's not glamorous it's not sexy as such i mean there's sexy things in the background but nothing's like overtly like hot you know right 
yeah, you know, it, even though it is, you know, uh, a departure, I still think that what he set out to do was ex- executed very well. You know, like I said, I just, I'm grabbed from the, the very beginning, even the style of the movie, the look of it and everything. And, and you know, as I'm watching the, the different, uh, the featurettes and I've heard him speak about it. Fincher is one of those directors that's just so into the details. Um, he's so involved in so many different things, whether it's directing the actors or what's in the background or working with his, you know, editors and the set design and all these things. You know, he's just so involved and he's just really that's probably why he's one of my favorite filmmakers, if not my favorite filmmaker. Um, I feel like he, you know, he's just he's a lover uh, and has the passion of the movies and he puts it on the screen uh, for the viewers. You know, every time he puts something out there, you're always going to get something interesting, whether it's music videos, whether it's commercials, whether it's, you know, a movie or whether it's a show, you know, he's done, um, was it the house of cards and Manhunter? Mm-hmm. you know, he's been part of those. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that's the, that's a sad thing where we haven't had a film from him in years. He is in production though. Thank God. So again, uh, He's doing a film called Mank. It's about, uh, you know, the guy who's the presenter on, well, uh, Ben Mank was his father, uh, the great producer. Uh, it's about him. So uh, he's finally putting out another movie. It's been years. It's kind of weird when you look, yeah, when you look at his, uh, his, his, that we haven't got a lot in Fincher films this decade, actually, when you think about right. it. Right, right. odd. Yeah, he's been really focused on the TV. And I love Manhunter. I, I don't like the gap in between each season. And I heard that the, he's not signed on for the third season, which breaks my heart. But I, I do like him in the in the film, at film lane. You know, that's my favorite of his. And so it'll be great to have him back. Um, so talking about, let's talk about the actors a little bit. We'll start with the main one, Jesse Eisenberg, who's a, portraying uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, what do you think about his performance? He's so great in this. He's so, so great in this. Like, I hate him so I hate his character <laughs> so much. He's such a jerk the entire time. There's no humanity. I don't, I know they try to give him a nice little wrap up at the end, but no, there's nothing like this person is just a terrible guy. I mean, yeah, to make himself sound like he's like, oh, I'm so down on myself and when he is so privileged and he's so mean he just takes advantage of people constantly and it's like there's so many other people who are probably just as smart as him but he just acted like a jerk and pushed his way around people uh and bullied them even though he acts like he's the one being bullied it's such an interesting portrayal and i just hate him so much so jesse eisenberg did an amazing job with this because he doesn't there's only like one point where you ever feel like he's a like a person where after he's coding, he sort of, they say, are you praying? And he's kind of like bouncing back and forth, like he's in a trance. That's the only time you're like, oh, he's maybe a person who has sort of uh, spiritual feelings or feelings of humanity. But otherwise, I mean, this is a person who cares for nothing other than just power, power, power. So I thought it was a brilliant exploration of a man who's like a lily-livered loser, who's also very smart, but is a jerk forever. Eisenberg knocked this out of the park, absolutely. Yeah, he was uh, honored by being nominated for Best Actor. Yeah, you know, when I had seen Eisenberg before, he'd always been kind of that nerdy, you know, very passive character. You know, to see him tear into people, you know, just with his his kind of comebacks and his quips. And, you know, I mean, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, the stuff that he says, you know, some of my favorite scenes are some of his, his dialogue. But he you, you could even tell, like, just in his eyes, he just had this kind of venomous you know, look, you know, of wanting to 
like you said, you know, maybe like destroy everything or that he had something in mind and nothing was going to get in his way. You know, even his own, you know, friend, one of his, his, his business partner and his friend, you know, so, you know, it's very interesting. Again, we don't know if this is how the, the real Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, um, he didn't sign off on, on this and talk to Sorkin. And, you know, Sorkin is, is known for his dialogue and just, you know, the type of um, uh, characters that he writes. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Eisenberg uh, hit it out of the park. We'll talk about the next uh, character, uh, uh, Eduardo, who, so Andrew Garfield was originally, um, had read for the role of uh, Zuckerberg, um, but then was asked by Fincher to read for, for Eduardo. Uh, so what do you think about uh, Andrew Garfield's performance? First, I think it's kind of weird that he put Andrew Garfield in uh, because Eduardo Severin is a Brazilian man. So he's a Brazilian American. So like that could be like some people could be like, oh, you know, is that contentious? Is that a line? But it works. It works really, really well because um, he kind of gives him like some sort of accent. Like he kind of sounds like he has a vague like, American Brazilian accent thing. So that works really, really well. And also like Andrew Garfield played a Portuguese priest in Silence by Scorsese. So like, you know, it's, it's OK. It works. Um, but yeah, I think he's great in this. I mean, I think he's a great actor in general. People don't recognize how amazing of an actor Andrew Garfield is. He did, um, a few years ago, he was in the National Theater in England's production of Angels in America, and he played Prior Walter, who's like the main character. And that's an eight-hour play. Um, I watched it actually in a movie theater here in KC two weekends. I went two Wednesdays in a row and sat in an uncomfortable chair and watched a telecast of a play for like, you know, five hours a night. And he was brilliant, brilliant. He took like, I think two, two years of his life off to do that it's such an encompassing show. So if he can do Prior Walter and Angels in America, you're a god. Like, that's like one of the most difficult pieces in any play. So yeah, I love Andrew Garfield. And this was well before that uh, play. But yeah, he does such a good job. He brings humanity to Eisen, uh, to, I should say, John Zuckerberg. Because he's like, no, I'm your friend. He's trying to make him more personable like he likes him as a friend for whatever reason maybe they had you know before everything happened there was some warm feelings but yeah he brings the humanity to this uh and then you feel the tragedy of him losing his friend and getting totally taken advantage of in horrible ways sure he's a rich kid and stuff but that shouldn't happen anyway you feel really bad at just the way that they put the court scenes together with them looking at each other all hurt oh, so good so so good yeah, I heard that they, they actually had a difficult time with those scenes because they became really close, um, Eisenberg and um, Garfield. And so when they had that kind of turn in, in that movie, it was hard for them. But yeah, I agree with you on, on Garfield. I hadn't really seen him in much before this. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, might associate him with the Amazing Spider-Man uh, movies, you know, because those are, you know, probably you know, the bigger movies, you know, that people, you know, tend to see, you know, but I, I do agree with you. I, you know, I didn't even know he was, a uh, um, before this, I didn't know he was, uh, English does. I think he does a really good, uh, American accent. Uh, I don't know, maybe Bill Scurry will have to, to correct me on that. He's a, he's a, um, aficionado when it comes to that, but yeah, you know, he's, he's been in a bunch of other stuff that I've seen since, and he's always really solid. You know, I think he, like you said, he does bring a lot of humanity to, to this move, to this movie. And I kind of, 
think of him as the angel on Mark's shoulder, where the Justin Timberlake's character is kind of the devil, you know, and it's they're both trying to pull Mark different ways for, for whatever reasons. It's it is kind of crazy that these friends that started this company together can can end in the way that it ended in such a crazy way. And it makes you kind of wonder uh, about, you know, the kind of person that Zuckerberg is, you know, to, you know, because I mean, I mean, he got sued because he tried to drive his friend out of the, the company. And that's not disputable. I mean, that he really kind of really screwed him over. And like you said, I mean, they, they're rich and they come from from means, but it's the principle of, of you know, your one of your close friends that you're a partner with to kind of out him like that. And again, there's enough money to go around with this company. You know, what? what's the purpose, you know? Yeah, that's it's, it's a crazy thing. So Justin Timberlake's uh, character, you know, I think Justin Timberlake gets a lot of crap, um, you know, because he was part of a boy band sure. and stuff. Yeah. Um, whether you like his music or not, and whether you think he's a talented musician or not, I, I do think that he's a pretty good actor. I think he does a really good job with this role as Sean Parker. And, you know, when they were talking about casting Sean Parker and, and he came up, they, I, you know, in the commentary, they were talking about, they were kind of waiting for him to kind of give them a reason not to give him the part because he, he did so well in the, in the, in the auditions and whatnot. And to me, he hit it out of the park and, you know, he has some very funny lines and um, he does well with the Sorkin's dialogue. But what did you think about uh, Justin Timberlake? I mean, he just, you know, brings a lot of like swagger and fun to the, like, that's when the fun starts. I mean, sure. That's when everything starts to kind of careen out of control for their business because he starts listening to a guy who has questionable business practices, but his characters are like really fun. He's very, very charming. He's not like, yeah, he's obviously really smart, but the way they write him, he's like cool guy, fun to be around. All the ladies like him. So he's just an exciting, fun person. And of course you're always seeing Justin Timberlake when you see him and that's okay. That's obviously a casting choice. Like they wanted it to be like, this is a famous person. Like, and also it's funny because Sean Parker did Napster and I'm sure NSYNC had problems with Napster of course they did they must have I mean they didn't they weren't like metallic and like sued people but you know that he had problems with illegal downloads of his music of even his solo music after that I'm sure so that is a level of lovely like amplification right there because he's a musician who was incredibly popular when Napster was out so I think that's a wonderful thing I don't I'm not like too familiar with like uh, just, like I know, like No Way Out, I believe is a Justin Timberlake film. I have to see that. I mean, I'm most really familiar with him in like his SNL experiments, appearances. You know, he's very right. funny. He does all these silly, like incredibly silly stuff because he's a kid actor too, right? So that's where the charm comes from. He's been doing this his whole life. So I thought it was just a wonderful addition. And of course, you know, you feel a little, he kind of does give you a little loser vibe though, which I like at a certain point because he's always kind of, you know, he's, he's hustling, you know? Right. And so you do feel like a little bit of like his desperation near the end. So I think that's nice that he gets a little tension into the, the uh, not just charm, there's tension at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. And um, when he's comes on screen, he kind of almost demands your attention. And he's a very, you know, you could see quickly how he drives this wedge between these, these, these two friends, you know, because he, he sees an opportunity, you know, he's an opportunist and, you know, I thought it was a, a interesting thing that uh, uh, Sorkin and Fincher both said. These people are making, you know, mistakes and and doing questionable things, but 
these are kids, you know, we, we have to understand that these aren't adults, these are kids, and, you know, what kid doesn't make, you know, questionable decisions, and, you know, especially, like, in college and, and, and life like that, so maybe with some distance from, from these things, these events that happen, you know, hopefully they've changed for the better, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very kind of vicious portrayal, but also, you know, I'm sure there's, there's some, some truth in there. You know, it's not, it's not a departure from what we kind of know uh, of the facts of him, you know, and, and what, he, what he did and, you know, the places he got kicked out of or, you know, other um, ventures that he got kicked out of. Um, but yeah, so, the, you know, the triple threat of, of these three, I think they just did an awesome job and, and really delivered great performances. And, you know, as far as the women role, in this it's a little thin or I mean I would say it's really thin yeah. you know you but. have Rooney Mars uh, character who I think is very impactful in the little mm-hmm. screen time that she has and kind of goes toe-to-toe with 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 Mark um, in that opening scene uh, you have Brenda Song uh, who plays uh, Ed- Eduardo's girlfriend who you know I think is does a great job with her little performance I mean she's just like she's a she's a tiny tiny thing but she's just like a force of nature and she's you very kinda, funny yeah, you could see, you know, her, uh, you know, uh, with her interactions and, you know, her character's turn, you know, is, is very exciting. And then, of course, we have the lawyer um, played by Rashida Jones. You know, she gets to kind of, I think, have the, the most humanistic interactions with Mark, you know, like, you know, kind of trying to, you know, hit on the point that he's, you know, when Mara says, you know, you're just, you're an asshole, but her coming back and saying, you know, you're not an asshole, you're just trying hard to be one, you know, that, that kind of that wrap up to the film to what you were saying earlier, you know, you know, kind of wraps it up to make it seem like he's not really that bad of a guy, but you know, who knows, but uh, what'd you think about the, those three parts? Understandably, there's not going to be a lot of women in this story just because of the nature of who's involved. But I think, yeah, I think they were really well used. Uh, Rooney Mara was great because her like little speeches were really good, very impactful, very powerful. And then it's cool too because it's obvious like that Fincher looked at her and said, "Oh, cool! You're like you're an amazing actor. I'm going to put you in Dragon Tattoo later." So you know, little little roles become big roles later uh, for people. So that's cool. And she's yeah, she's really impactful. Rashida Jones, I feel it's a very straightforward role for her, obviously, because you think of her more of a, a funny lady. So, yeah, I think, you know, she's uh, just very good, very, you know, very lawyerly. I, I've, I've had some lawyer uh, uh, legal problems in my in my life, and I've worked with lawyers, and they look like that. Like, they're just exactly like that. <laughs> their manner, their outfits, perfect. Um, yeah, and the girlfriend, uh, I mean, especially when she sets, like, the, the scarf on fire, and everything it's it's just lovely she's so crazy so funny that i think one of the funniest scenes in the movie is that she does all that and you know and then he you know he's talking to mark and he's gonna go back and then she says eduardo and he like turns around and like you're like oh my god you're still here like you know she's she's not even pissed off anymore she's just like oh you're leaving already like like also matter-of-factly he's like i'm scared of you <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's so great that he's like i'm frightened of you like that's wonderful Right. So let's get into, I think, where this is going to be your sweet spot because you're, you know, such a connoisseur of music. But the. But the, wait, the Winklevi. Yes. The Winkle, oh, yes. I we totally have to talk about, about Army Hammer. The Winklevi. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a really interesting role. It's funny as hell. It's charming. It's entertaining. And the way they did it is really weird. They didn't do like a parent trap thing where they just like did that. Well, they sort of did. But they used another actor and chopped his head off. So there, there's a do, uh, an actor, Joss 
Pence. He hung out with Army Hammer. They like kind of like learned how to walk together and like the same size. And they did all the scenes. So technically, Josh Pence is Tyler, and but they just cut his head off and put uh, Army head like Army Hammer's like superimposed his head on top of his body. So he's technically doing all the movements of Tyler, but they're so it's kind of a weird like hybrid sort of um, parent trap and CGI thing that they used put, to put them together. Uh, and I think they're so funny. They're, they they kind of give you this old world socialite sort of feel, like that's this, like the, they're they're sort of uh, wanting to be gentlemen of Harvard thing. And I think they're wonderful showing like that's that old time money world. And also they're incredibly hardworking people. So they're actually probably the hardest working guys in the, in, the, in the thing. I mean, they're into business, they're into school, they're into sports, they're driven people. Uh, and I don't see any bad guys, really. I mean, they're kind of screwed over, maybe a little naive, but overall, I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, they, they may be a little obnoxious or a little like, like, like naive in their worldview. But I thought they were just so funny. And the way that Fincher pieced together these two actors is so interesting and weird. That's probably where a lot of, I mean, Fincher just likes to do stuff like that. He's technical. So it was just like fun for him. So I'm sure that a lot of the budget came out of dealing with that. Parent Trap, uh, sort of, you know, doubling of the screen, that's old fashioned. And he didn't really do it that way. So, and he could have easily. So that's, I think, a fun one. Did you enjoy them? I, I'm sure that you. Yes, I, got some jokes. <laughs> I, I, I did enjoy it. And actually, you know, uh, you're talking about Josh. Actually, it was between him and Army who was going to play the Winklevi mm-hmm. twins. And um, they ended up going with uh, Army. And I know Josh was you know, a little bit devastated by that. But he was also glad to be still involved in, in a Fincher film. Um, so, you know, like you said, he's playing all Tyler's physical parts um, with the exception of, of the face. And they did go to like a twin boot camp. And also um, a rowing uh, boot camp. So, you know, the rowing um, does, you know, it's a very strenuous and exercise. And um, actually, Army and Josh, I believe, both had to, you know, eat a ton of food to keep on the weight because they would lose so much weight if they didn't uh, do in the rowing um, because they, they actually, you know, did all that stuff. And there's some there's some pretty funny stories on the commentary where they talk about the rowing scene at the regatta that they actually, you know, when they filmed it and they um, were filming it against people that you know actually row and they actually were very competitive and were trying to like actually trying to beat them and, and uh, you know, with uh, all that they had learned in this boot camp that they did. But yeah, I think they, you know, did a fantastic job in Army. You know, I hadn't seen Army Hammer before this or hadn't, hadn't recognized him in anything before this. And, um, you know, so this put him on the map and, you know, he went on to you know do some some great work and and some other films um yeah you know thank you for you know bringing it back to that because i almost forgot about the the winklevi as they call them yeah I love that. it's just a lovely little joke there yeah very cute so acting's great all the way around yeah it's just phenomenal and you know one of the reasons i love this movie so much but yeah let's transition into the score done by trent reznor and is atticus ross correct Mm -hmm. yes and you know they were nominated and this was uh, i believe reznor's first score Mm -hmm. um and he won they won they both won the the academy award for the the score and he's done um some other films since and it was interesting to listen to him talk about 
you know, you sent me an uh, um, uh, interview that um, he did and then some other, you know, things that I read about it. And then on the, the supplemental stuff to the DVD, you know, he talked about like you know, his involvement and getting involved in Fincher, you know, getting him involved in how he didn't have any interest in doing it. But then as, you know, he was kind of, you know, persistent on him, um, you know, he really did kind of enjoy his time uh, doing the score. So what do you think about the score? I mean, it's it's amazing accomplishment. Uh, so I mean, when you like, if you know about Nine Inch Nails music, it's like it's not a massive departure. He was going that way. He's always done electronic music, so like, eventually, like not to say eventually he was going to end up there in a soundscape world, but maybe. I mean, there are there are instances on other albums, like even on like the Downward Spiral. There's a there's in the middle of that album. It's a concept. Most of his albums are like concept albums and stuff. So, like, in the middle of that, there's, uh, there's a song called The Quiet Place, which is an instrumental. And then on uh, The Fragile, which is, like, his next album, it's, like, this double album, this epic thing. And there's several instrumental um, instrumentals in that. And then he made, in 2008, I believe it was when that was published, it was Ghosts, uh, yes, one, through, yes. 1 through 5. And that is a, like, it's just an ambient album. And that was a really, really weird one for them to put out because it was, like, it's all instrumental it's very very long and that's all it is and I, be, I even saw them do that in concert which was amazing so like they did it was called lights in the sky that was that um, concert tour that they did where it was for ghosts so they did some of like you know their their hits and then in the middle of the show they did this like whole like maybe 40 minute set of instrumentals and it was very unusual to see like everybody kind of just slow down nobody's moshing nothing like that everybody's just like watching them play the soundscape sort of music. It was really beautiful, the way they did the set. That's kind of where this started. So you can't just say, oh, this is the first time he'd been working on instrumentals for years. And so that's the thing. Like, apparently, like, when they were doing the score, well, Fincher tempts some of the music from Ghosts into it just to be like, hey, look, like, right. this is what it can sound like. And then they were like, oh, shit, it can. You're right. Um, th I think there's even like a, there's like a split second of some of Ghosts in it. It sounds like there is. Because some of like his sounds over time, you can hear his sounds. They just kind of float from album to album. So I think it's a great accomplishment. I mean, it goes very well. You can listen to it as an album in itself, and it's a wonderful ambient album. Um, and just the way it works with, like, it's, it sounds like coding. It feels like effort. Um, it feels like emotional. And that's what he says. Like, he goes with emotion instead of, like, regular score writing because he doesn't know how to write a score like a proper composer. So it's all about emotion to him, and that's what he does. And then he makes... Because he knows how to manipulate electronic music. He makes up... He does... He manipulates sounds of regular instruments to make them sound like they don't exist, like things that don't exist. It's, it's brilliant, really. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, just it's, it's really funny that we're talking about this today. We're uh, talking... Uh, he just won an Emmy, like, last night for The Watchmen. So he's still in it, and he might win one on Sunday for a second one for Watchmen. Now, this is what he does 10 years later. He's done several scores. He's been nominated for Oscars before. He's almost had an EGOT. That's crazy. I think it's great that his music has evolved and his, you know, to do this. But he's still putting out Nine Inch Nails albums. He put out two this year for free. Another extension of Ghosts. It's called Ghosts Together and Ghost Locust. Locusts. And he put that out earlier this year for free. Uh, I think it might also be under Creative Commons licensing. That's another thing he does, uh, which is basically um, where you can take his music and make it your own. He says, here, use it. As long as it's for, you know, non-commercial purposes, go nuts, go forth. So you'll hear it a lot on NPR. 
uh, that like in background music. Um, the only thing he's like, Hey, if you know, you make money off of it, you know, you have to put me as a credit. So that's why he now has a country music award because you remember last year, little Nas X with the most popular song of the century, old town road is because of Trent Reznor. That's, uh, I believe it's ghost 35 that that song is, or 36, it's that that is song is based off of. So because of Trent Reznor, the most popular song of the century exists. That's amazing. So, you know, like this guy really has, his music has encompassed so much of our century and we don't even realize it, especially when this was just the starting point. Wow. You know, so good job. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing to see how this person who had a lot of problems has now turned into a very solid good composer and he's also in his band too which is cool and has an extra band with his wife how to destroy angels and they're awesome too with atticus ross i actually saw them in concert once and it was really really cool to see like atticus ross and trevor Ezra and his wife all rocking out on stage beautiful that was in 2013 i saw that yeah so i mean it, it's delightful to see a person change evolve and still make amazing work um so yeah and i don't think this uh this this movie would be any would be the same without this soundtrack at all. I, I completely agree with you. You know, I, I think, you know, I was, I've been a Nine Inch Nails fan for forever. And, you know, I was had the pleasure of seeing them in concert. And yeah, I, I do believe that, you know, his involvement and what he adds to the film, if you take it out, it's, it's a completely different film. You know, I know film is a visual medium or it's considered a visual medium, but there is so many other elements that, you know, like whether it's sound or, or uh, set design or, you know, the acting, the writing, you know, it's kind of like a, a you know, when it works in a, a complete package, you can get something like this. And I thought it was, a, you know, like you said, it's not a real departure from for uh, Reznor because he has done kind of instrumental um, in, in his albums and you know which I, I love you know I love those kind of little breaks in his albums and, and the you know as the theme is running through but you know I thought um, they really hit it he hit it really on the head with you know involving the kind of the technology aspect of it because he does like to play around with a lot of uh, sounds and but it also has this kind of like undertone of, of doom you know you have the piano it's kind of the soft piano thing to kind of you know uh, to me, it's kind of like the uh, the innocence of the character, and then you know, as the sounds in the background kind of build, then you get this kind of pounding of like dun, and you know, it's kind of like oh, we're in for a tragedy. You know, this is where the the character starts as a soft piano and is going towards this dark this dark place of you know of him being sued and you know the breaking of the friendships and just all this you know uh, this, this um tragedy but yeah it's 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 a fantastic achievement um i'm glad he you know like sort of kind of like danny elfman you know he was an oingo boingo mm -hmm. and you know he's now he does you know he did so many scores for tim burton and he's you know he's kind of known for that now for a lot of his iconic scores um, but I, I hope, uh, you know, Trent Reznor is, uh, and Atticus Ross are able to kind of continue this partnership and, and do more, um, more scores. Cause I think, um, what they, what they bring to the table is just amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting when you like think about like, okay, this is a movie basically about litigation, which is like tedious and can be kind of, or I mean, I mean, it's, it's really cool how they put the two different cases like interspersed between each other, so you don't really like know the timeline that's really happening. Like, I think that's great to kind of because court stuff and litigation can get 
tedious and boring and can really like drag it a, a movie down. Like I was recently watched like remember a reversal of fortune, right? That's a film about courts and the litigation and things like that. And it has it doesn't have a soundtrack as such, but it has a narration. The the woman who was put in a coma, Bon uh, Is that Jeremy Irons? Yeah, right. So it's he about won, did he, he win a best actor? I believe best he did. We, yeah. Okay, so. Yeah. But there's this like what there's this narration that goes to the whole thing, and it's almost like a sound like a spook. Like if you took that out, would it be the same? No, because it holds everything together. Same thing like that. The only other movie I can think of this century that has such an important score, where if you removed it, you'd be like this thing is unhinged or it doesn't work. Is um, the hours? Phil Glass wrote this score, and he didn't win for it, amazingly. But that's a guy who's written opera. I mean, like real opera, and he then writes. Kind of popular music, you know, for films and the hours. If you take that score out, I'm like, I don't know if that film technically works without it, but with it, it just moves everything like a like a weight along. So the same thing with this score, where if you kind of take it out, mm, yeah, it might be super dry and boring. Not maybe it's super boring because he switches it up, but like I don't know. I don't know if you just put a regular like string sort of score in there if it's gonna have as much. Fun impact or just flow, because the flow is very good. This movie is is a compact two hours. You feel like it's an hour and a half. It's that quick. Yeah, it, for sure. You know, sure. really, really swift and well done. Yeah, you know, and again, um, I believe they had a, a. I know Sorkin had a particular song that he had picked for the opening scene, and Fincher. You know, Fincher had been listening to Ghost as he was driving around and stuff. That's how he kind of got, in, you know, the idea for um, Trent Reznor and. and uh, Atticus Ross, but uh, once they heard what um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross brought to to them in these little, like little, you know, three minute or um, six minute pieces, that became that kind of the theme, and I think it, it really works. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, obviously we can't gush enough about you know our love for for the score, but um, I think you're completely right. Without the score, um, you know, this movie definitely suffers. You know, it does have a lot of other great pieces, but to me, you know, this kind of buttons up the movie uh, for that final touch where it can kind of, you know, it drives you, it drives your emotions in, in a certain way like a good score does. You know, it's not just uh, background filler uh, music or, you know, it's a score to me is supposed to kind of uh, elicit some type of emotion from you or, or make you feel a certain way, you know, like, like great music does, you know, and Again, I think Trent Reznor is a, a genius. I think he's one of the, you know, real true geniuses of, of music. And so, um, yeah, can't say enough about it. But yeah, to hit on what you were saying before uh, about the courtroom scenes and whatnot, the editing. I think the editing in this and is fantastic, and they actually won an Oscar for it. But yeah, the way that they're able to kind of jump back and forth in time of start, you know, how this you know kind of company started and these two cases simultaneously going on at the same time and intercutting in between i think is brilliant it just it must have been such a hard job but you know that it shows i think that the editing is such an important part of the process because if you don't have a good edited movie it can turn out to be a mess you know and you know basically you're almost wasting the film because you know you can't you're not telling the story you know, it's just, you know, it could either be too choppy or not enough edits. Um, but what did you think about the editing? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, yeah, like it just, it really flows, especially with the montage scenes. Because there's a lot of montage with coding and then like, so he's coding and then there's 
parties going on on campus and they're interspersed with him coding and it's like you're seeing his world that he's not like he's not part of that world and so it's, it's amplifying like his distance from the social world of the campus and the, and the school and the kids and all that stuff and just like even later there's other montages where they're supposed to be coding in california and it's just it, it works very very well to show his world you know, like this is the world he's in, he's in his own world, but there's all this other stuff going on around you. But it also tells you everything you need to know without no, without telling you. Like it shows you these kids, like it's great. There's this one part where he's coding and there's the girls, I guess, going to a rush party. So like a bus of girls shows up to this frat house and there's these guys and they're like, you're at the most prestigious place. And then they're like, your girls are like taking their clothes off and playing strip poker and all this sort of stuff. And that's interspersed with him you know, coding, and then it the, the shows the kids later that night looking at the face mash thing, and then, and that's when the music starts to get really gnarly, because then the kids are like, the girls see that they're being compared, and they're like, they feel horrible inside, that like the sexist, misogynist crap is happening, and that's when all this gnarly like guitar comes in. Yeah, it's really so. Yeah, the the montage scenes are great. They're so well done because montage is supposed to give you information without dialogue. That's exactly what they do. The set design is so well encompassed um, because, yeah, like I said, like I don't know this world of these socialite people, but it tells you everything you know. Even how the girls, especially the girls in California, in the house, there's always girls. These party girls, where do they come from? I don't know, but they're always around. <laughs> um, and so it's like it's a really well done how they they edit all these people together, and you know everything from just the, yeah, the design, the set, the extra people, the guys who like are. are hired in and you can't talk to them that kind of thing it tells you all you need to know about that world if you don't know that world yeah i mean i completely agree i think the editing is just so on point and you know they're able to keep the story moving the flow of the story moving um of course you know we have the the, the dialogue and the acting that is helping you know form that story but you know, the editing is so important in this movie because, again, like I said before, I think the the subject matter could be boring if maybe just told straightforward, but the way that they, they do the montages or intercutting different scenes and doing the flashbacks and, and the, you know, the kind of the, the court, um, or not the court, but the, um, the lawyer scenes and, 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 and all that stuff, uh, it just fits together so well. Like you said before, the time of the movie is just under two hours but it feels like it just breezes by and i think it's because of of the way it's edited and there's just like there's not an ounce of fat on this film you know they they used everything that they they had and there's no you know no fat there's no like extra scene that i, I think that could be taken out that would enhance the movie or or you know um or even more stuff put in that would you know uh, enhance the movie in that in that way yeah it's it's just fantastic and so you know well-deserved uh, uh, oscar for uh, kirk baxter baxler and uh, angus wall let's talk about the so the set design so um this is an interesting thing apparently harvard you know they didn't film most of the stuff on harvard because harvard does not like uh, filming on their campus. Uh, I think it's because of, I read from 1970, there was a movie called The Love Story. Oh my God, that one? Um, that was filmed there. <laughs> and I guess they had they had destroyed parts of the campus or they just weren't, I, they had just done some stuff that, that, they, that Harvard didn't like. And so they don't allow filming on their uh, campus anymore. Which, so And you've seen that one, right? That, that movie, Love Story? 
No, that, I actually haven't seen that movie. That's the one where it's like movie. love means never saying you're sorry. I actually haven't seen. Is that the? Is that with Ryan O'Neill? Is yeah, Ali McGraw, yeah. and they're like this tragic love story. And that's funny that you say they destroyed, but because that shows if anybody asks you to film in their in your home, say no because a film <laughs> set will destroy your home. Gaffers will rip everything apart to right. make it look good. So that's the whole thing. Like understand, and that's funny because like, there's no action in that movie. Just shows yes, yes. Filming is actually an incredibly, like it's just, it's hands-on, it's labor-intensive, it's a lot of machines, so it's funny that they got so messed up in that film that they wouldn't let something more technically, probably like less uh, damaging. Wow, that's funny. From 40 years ago too. You that's know, it's amazing. Like, like, talk about holding a grudge wow. against the industry. But, but, it, uh, but yeah, it does mess yeah. up your stuff, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the um, the the only shots that they got of Harvard, I think, from the outside and and like some running in, they kind of did it like guerrilla style, um, you know, kind of like in the old way where they oh would do it. There was a story um, they wanted to show the arch. There's a famous arch in the front of, of Harvard, and what they did is they got a mime with a kind of light pack, like a some type of bright light pack, so that they can he can go in there and basically do his little performance. You don't see him, but you see the light from his pack kind of um uh lights up the arch as uh eisenberg's uh running by it you know uh, in the beginning of the movie so so they did some interesting things like that um they, they you know they filmed across the street they were allowed to film from that building right because we uh, didn't have outside. drones back then because think about it right. had, they didn't have drones then so now with drones i mean it's like the, right. the sky's like you literally the sky's limit you can do whatever you want it's so easy but yeah they had to do some weird that's amazing that's so weird yeah. that they just used some decoy guy yeah so um wow. but they they filmed a lot of it at john hopkins in uh, baltimore and you know they um and they actually said it was funny when they filmed it uh, or they screened it for some people at harvard you know when they show kirkland house and stuff there which is just kind of like Ugh, that's not kirkland house you know because they you know they know their their campus but you know again they they were doing the best that they could you know it's the the architecture that they have there is very old and so they you know they try to find something that kind of fit that and i know that they filmed they built some sets um you know, and did you know, I think believe the the statue, the scene with the statue, mm -hmm. uh, um, of the statue of three lies. They that was on a, a set that they built, and you know they had the fake snow there and and things like that. And you know they filmed obviously in California, Palo Alto area, and and whatnot. Yeah, I thought I thought that was so interesting that you know after so many years that they a movie of this you know magnitude you know couldn't get uh, permission to do that. But yeah, you know I still think that you know it was the set design and and you know, the costumes and everything, you know, were, were very Im impactful. They said that with the costumes, they actually took pictures of the, of Zuckerberg and, and um, Eduardo and stuff. And they actually, pretty much everything in the movie is something that they've worn in a picture before. So the clothes that they have on, whether it's the Gap sweatshirt, I think with the exception of one shirt that uh, Eisenberg wears, it's uh, one of his, uh, I think his theater uh, company. Um, so he was allowed to wear that, but everything else is taken from pictures. Yeah, I mean, and his yeah, his his wardrobe is perfect because he looks like such a dumb idiot. Like it's just like it's like I hate that. Like there's just like as a as a woman who like sees like men who are maybe like mediocre go ahead of me because because they're quirky. Like guys are allowed to be like that. They're allowed to be quirky and like just wear like sandals to stuff. Like women are never allowed to do that. We have to be like perfectly presented to be even be able to get in the door. While some jerk like this can just slump around in like sandals and be an ass. And then just, yeah, that, that, so I love that. It's infuriating watching him wear that stuff. It's so disrespectful, especially like when you go, like even like that campus hearing 
and he's wearing like sandals and then he's just interrupting everybody. And I like the fact though, that the adults, like the, well, the older adults, we should say the more mature adults uh, who are in their forties and stuff, they are just so condescending to all of them. They hate them all. They're just like, you're stupid. Shut up. Get out of my face. Like, and especially the lawyers, lawyers are always kind of vicious like that. And I love that about lawyers that they are vicious and will take your side and be real mean for you. Uh, but even like when they go to the, the, the Dean in that wonderful scene and the Dean's just like, can you just like punch me in the face to his secretary? <laughs> and even the, even the secretary, you know, that the, the receptionist is like, be careful. This, this building's like, you know, older than, than the country. And he's like, we're sitting in chairs. Like, what are we, you know, and then he rips off the doorknob later. He's like, here's your 335 year old doorknob. That's funny stuff. But I love, yeah, I love the condescension of the, uh, the older adults and also that the fact that they are dressed very nicely. They're dressed professionally. They show that they actually like get it. But even Eduardo, he tries, you know, he's wearing a suit. Maybe it looks a little goofy on him, like the shoulder pads are a little too big or something, but he's trying, you know, he's trying to be like a business guy. And he's obviously already a businessman at that point. Like I said, he made $300,000 on like oil futures. He's not an idiot. This guy is technically a young businessman, but he's a businessman nonetheless and tries to act like it. And even when he has those scenes where he, like the one scene with Aaron Sorkin, which is great, the little like stunt casting where Aaron yeah. Sorkin's the business guy. And he's like, is this a joke? Where he's like dressed up like an, like an adult in a business meeting. And, you know, Zuckerberg's just sitting there all slumped over, like wearing like a crappy hoodie, being an idiot. And yeah, I love that. I love the, the, how the, the outfits show who the people are supposed to be, you know, and Sean Parker, even he's dressed semi casually, you know, Fancy enough, but he's like, I'm a cool guy, business guy. So he doesn't wear a tie, that kind of thing. Love it. How the, yeah, everything, everybody's wardrobe is perfectly fitted to who they are. Wonderful. Yeah. And, um, again, you know, so many aspects of this movie, I think they, they got right. And I think it was smart for them to, you know, to look at pictures and, and try to mimic them to kind of see college kids, you know, even of, of all ilks, you know, they, they kind of can get, you know, lazy and, 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 you know, not want to wash the clothes and wear kind of the same things. you know, they just want to be comfortable, right? They're just going from class to class and, and, you know, uh, a lot of them, but, you know, like you said, you know, some of the ones that are kind of trying to impress like uh, Edward, you know, being from the, the family he's from and the, and the business uh, aspect of his, uh, uh, his career that he wants to go, he's dressing for success, you know, and when he's going out on these meetings, you know, he's, he's trying to impress you know he's trying to look like look the part um and you know with like you said with sean parker uh just tim blake's character he has like kind of like a nice sports coat but he's like wearing a t-shirt you know it's like that, that's kind of like the new the style you know it's like kind of i'm casual i'm cool but i am also have a business you know aspect to me um or at least that's my perspective on on uh that style um, I'm a kind of a t-shirt and shirts, uh, shorts guy myself. So, you know, I, I just pretty much try to be comfortable. Um, but yeah, talking about, um, you know, a little bit, you were talking about uh, Larry Summers, the, the, the counselor, um, a little bit of stunt casting. He's actually the manager. He's not even an actor. He's the manager of Gary Oldman, I think. And so, the, you know, normally I think that part was, I think Alfred Molina was maybe going to be in that part, but they ended up, uh, Fincher gave it to him. And same thing with Sorkin. Sorkin didn't want to be in the movie, but Fincher said, you're going to be in this movie. You're going to be in this one part. And, you know, that's it. And he just basically told him to do it. So, you know, Fincher, you know, he, he likes to do things like that, you know, um, take people. And I think it kind of gives a, a realism to, to these characters because they're not, you know, they're not acting. They're just kind of just being who they are. 
and uh, you know it kind of you know it does it does a little bit for it. Yeah, I mean that's amazing. I didn't realize that that other I didn't realize he was not an actor because he does a really good job. So yeah, yeah, well done. I mean, I mean, I, I think that's funny too that Fitchers is kind of like, uh, I mean, it almost sounds like, hey, who's around today? Let's put you in a scene. If it's such a small scene, you know, in, in that way. So I think that's really hilarious in a way. Like it makes it even more because I didn't get to watch the audio commentary. So like. This is like, I'm like, wow, this is really, really cool <laughs> to know about this. If you ever get a chance, it's uh, there's two of them. There's one with just Fincher, I think is probably the more interesting one. I, I love commentaries because I think it gives you a good kind of like um, inside story. You know, you're going to kind of hear it from the horse's mouth of, of what happened. You know, and they'll see something on the screen. They'll be like, oh, on that day, this happened, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and there's some good supplemental uh, uh, material on the, on the second disc if you get the, um, I think it's a special edition. And then the other commentary track, I believe, has Josh. Uh, Army Hammer and Andrew Garfield and then Aaron Sorkin is kind of he's not in the same room as them but he's kind of like uh, plugged in throughout the the commentary so it's it's the writer and then the three of the actors you know kind of uh, talking about their stories and and, the, and oh I'm sorry and Jesse Eisenberg but he's also not in the room with them he's so it's three separate tracks that they're kind of interwoven into the into the commentary track for that second one which yeah. is it, it has some interesting aspects to it that makes you think like maybe they're going to put out a special edition of it or something because it's been I, I found I, I bought a digital copy of it because I hadn't seen it in a few years um, mm -hmm. and I realized like it's really hard to find a copy of this around actually like right it's not on any streaming services right now um, trying to like you know borrow if you're borrowing it from the library there's not really copies around even the soundtrack the score you're like where was the score not available until yesterday swear to God now, literally yesterday, Nine Inch Nails decided to drop, but weirdly, a vinyl copy, only a vinyl copy of the social network score. So if you have a record player, go for it. And it's probably going to sound sweet and beautiful on a record. Uh, but yeah, you can't get a CD of it, but you can get the record now. So it finally exists again. So I'm assuming that they're going to be doing some maybe 10th anniversary yeah, maybe Blu-ray or some special dealy. Not that it needs to be cleaned up. It looks great. I mean, I got the, you know, the digital streaming copy. It looks perfect. I mean, it's only 10 years old and it looked beautiful then, so I don't see what they could really change. The sound, right. I mean, does the sound is kind of nuts. I found the sound on my television to be like, wow. Like, it blew, it, like at one point I had to stop and recalibrate some of the speakers because it started to like move things around and the cat started to run away. So yeah, seeing it in the movie theater it was perfectly calibrated because like the, the loudest scene is that uh, where they're in the uh, the club in like uh, San Francisco or something, and they're right. screaming like at Ruby e Sky or something. Yeah, like and they're screaming at each other, like they're trying to have like a business meeting sort of thing, and that's it, it's very well calibrated if you listen to it with earphones or see it like conversely like in a movie theater like you did ten years ago, and yeah, um, it has a it's very interestingly how they, they it sounds good if you have a good audio setup. Yeah, so that was it's it's nice to see that it has it was that well thought out. But he's always done that with his films, right? I believe that they actually gave out the I think at the beginning the um, the score was available for free. You could download it for probably free. it was probably the Creative and, uh, Commons situation for a little while, right? Which missed my opportunity for that, but. Uh, but I'm glad that they are releasing it, you know, hopefully it, you know, it won't be just vinyl, yeah. um, but hopefully it'll be available because it, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you could just listen to, you know, and 
still get so much uh, enjoyment out of it. I used to listen it on on a commute all the time. It's a really great like ambient album to listen to. Absolutely. So let's uh, move on to what I'll call my last segment of this is the the writing. So Aaron Sorkin. What I heard was that so um, Ben uh, Mez, is it is, uh, was doing the book The Accidental Billionaire, and he wasn't even done with the the um, book yet. And Sorkin got involved, and I think read some of it, and um, got involved, and they basically almost kind of simultaneously finished uh, each of their their different uh, the book and the, and the script. You know, Sorkin. From his time, I don't know if you're a West Wing fan, but, you know, my wife's a huge West Wing fan, so I've watched that a couple times through, and, you know, he just has such a way with words and dialogue, and it's just, it's just so, like, um, boom, 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 it's just so fast-paced, and I, I've, you know, I, I don't think it works in every actor's mouth, um, you know, there's some that you just have a grasp of it, I thought, um, you know, like, his first directed movie, uh, Molly's Game, I thought Jessica Chastain really owned his, his dialogue in, in that movie, and she did a phenomenal job, got robbed of a, of a nomination, at least, uh, in my opinion, but, um, you know, all the actors, you know, I think they do so well with his, with his, uh, with his writing, and he did have some help in writing, you know, the, the part where they're coding, you know, they did have Mark's blog, and so that's basically almost word for word, you know, Mark uh, writing, you know, this coding while he's drunk, and, you know, and again, coding, to me, they, you know, I listen to that, and it's like boring, but the way that they, the way it was filmed, and the way that they you know, they used it in this, in the script. It just, it's almost like a thriller to me. It's so exciting. It's like, I'm just, I'm like on the edge of my seat, you know, waiting for what's going to happen next. You know, even, you know, now that I know, you know, but you know, when I first saw it, I was just like, this is, I can't believe they made this interesting, you know, coding, a coding scene, but you know, he has so many great lines in the, in the movie. And he had said that he, he didn't want to um, lead the audience into a decision about who was right or who was wrong or what what was the truth and what was it. He was just trying to tell a story, and he thought it was interesting to tell kind of three different angles of it. You got the two cases, and then you know you got the the, the Zuckerberg character, and you you're kind of left to make your own decision and your own conclusion on you know who was wronged or you know who who was who was at fault. Um, and you know, maybe it's a combination of a little bit of everything, but he just wanted to tell a great story. And I think he accomplished that and, and telling a great story, you know, about, um, like you said, said before about class, about friends, about, um, you know, um, starting a business about college life, you know, just all these different aspects. Mark! Mark! wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. How about now? You're still wired in? Call security. You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors How came along... How much were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. You signed the papers. 
You set me up. You're gonna blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company. It's gonna be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? You think we were gonna let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this company? Sorry! My Prada's in the cleaners! Along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebag! Security's here. You'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. Tell me this isn't about me getting into the Phoenix. You... You did it! I knew you did it! You planted that story about the chicken! I didn't plant the story about the chicken. What's he talking about? You had me accused of animal cruelty. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken? And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook. Which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole. Because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. Get him out of here. It's okay, I'm going. Hang on. I almost forgot. Here's your $19,000. I wouldn't cash it, though. I drew it on the account you froze. I like sitting next to you, Sean. It makes me look so tough. I thought it was really great. I mean, it's very crisp. Uh, I think my favorite line is when um, I, I believe it's like Tyler Winklevoss or maybe it's Cameron. I can't remember which one because yeah, they look exactly the same. But he's like, <laughs> and he's talking, he's like, um, I'm, you know, I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of me. Like, I like you talking <laughs> about kicking somebody's ass. Like, that's so awesome. Like, because, yeah, because twins technically don't go around. You notice, like, talking about how there's two of them. They like to be individuals tending, but I like the fact that they're so like together they almost are the same person and that they actually say that that's hilarious i mean but you know i mean sorkin's been giving us lines like this for his whole career i mean think about it like you can't handle the truth that's sorkin you know like right, right. you know so i mean this is this is a guy who's been giving us like lines for really poignant and short lines too nothing like he's not like soliloquies as such they're just very pointed and very smart and yeah and i, I like that they're you know they feel sort of um I don't know, because it kind of goes with business or things like that. He's always dealing like business or government or things like that. It's not just like, you know, regular people having tra-la-la, like, oh, I'm going to have dinner. It's not like that. He's always doing something that's on a framework of like a, an institution, so to speak. So I think that's why it's really, really cool. His writing is very crisp and in, not institutional, but because he deals with institutions, it kind of does. In a way, he goes with jargon and he knows how to make that jargon uh, understandable to the layman but also be jargon at the same time, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I love Sorkin's uh, writing style and, and just, I think, I think he, he doesn't get enough credit for how funny he is, you know, like some of these lines, you know, I, I think this movie's hilarious. Like, there's just so many great lines. Um, I think Fincher's uh, favorite line in the, in the whole movie is when, Andrew Garfield, uh, Eduardo's telling the lawyer, you know, hey, I, I put $18,000 in an account and then, an, or no, $1,000 and an additional $18,000. And Mark says, wait. And he says, yep, I got the same thing. And it's it just like, it's, you know, it's so funny, you know, like, you know, it's just something, you know, he's just trying to be like, you know, that, that asshole right there, you know, just kind of interject that. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite scene uh, in, in the bit of writing is the when they're doing, when they're, um, doing the deposition or, or whatever against the Winklevi and uh, Divian, 
the lawyer's trying to get something out of him and he's like kind of not paying attention he's just kind of like you know oh, it's raining outside and he's like oh do you think i have you know do i have your attention and he's like well no i don't want to perjure myself so no you don't and he basically goes off on this thing and he says you know you have the minimal amount of my attention you know my attention is elsewhere and nobody in this room can do what i do and he's just it's just it's just a, such a great scene, and Jesse totally knows it, and I, I love that scene. It's like probably my favorite scene in the movie. But um, again, it's the the writing is just it's just so uh, has so much bite and so so much edge, and it's sharp, and and you know I can't say enough about it. I mean, I love Sorkin's stuff, and you know he was able to make this story that I would thought would be just this boring, you know, biopic, you know, about a moment in time, a modern moment in time. And he just makes it to the point where I want to watch it, you know, four times a year, you know, like just, I enjoy it that much. Well, just like, like the part where like Vivian finds out he's at the choral performance and he finds out about Facebook and then he grabs his girlfriend's laptop and like totally falls on his face. It's like this ridiculous slap that like, he just keeps falling over and making a big commotion and then stops the show and, He's just like runs out like that's hilarious. Just I mean, just the the, the pratfallness of him falling over like repeatedly, awesome. Just you know, so that's even the the writing there where he's he's saying a lot of words and then he's doing this ridiculous action, but it's all very serious. But it's hilarious, you know. It's like this comedy that you don't even know is dropping in. There's a lot of that, you know, in that. Right, is is great. So I, I want to ask you about a particular line and get to your kind of thoughts on it. So. Because uh, I think it's an interesting line. Mark tells um, when he when Eduardo finds the letter uh, that they're being sued or that Mark's being sued for intellectual property, you know, um, stolen. He's, he makes a comment. He says, a guy who builds a nice chair doesn't owe money to every person that's ever built a chair. What do you think about that? That's wrong because intellectual property is a thing. So, you know, like there's a like think of like the ghost chair. I'm sure you've seen the ghost chair. It's a very famous Lucite chair. It's maybe, I want to say, I don't want to get myself wrong on the time period when this this chair was designed, but basically it's a Lucite chair. It looks like something from like the 1700s, but it has that look because it's like a Louis the 16th, but it's all made of Lucite clear. It's like the ghost chair. That is a famous chair. You can't go and just make your own ghost chair and say, hey, I'm going to sell it for 20 bucks because then they'll sue you because it is intellectual property. Like just because it's a Lucite chair that looks like a chair from the 1700s that somebody made, I can't remember the artist's name right now, but um, that's still like, if I made that and made my own cheap version, I'm stealing. That's intellectual property is a very real thing. And the fact that, and especially that Zuckerberg was doing this when there were several and he even mentions like friendster was around at the time and he my was doing space, yeah. yeah my my space was starting out at that point he was not doing anything original at all that what he was doing was not original in the least it was if anything it was boring it was stripped down it was elitist um at the same time that he was starting was i was already in the the suicide girls community uh before suicide girls went really like you know very sort of corporate back then it was a feminist collective of people you paid 40 bucks a year to be on the service. And it was, it was amazing. Yes. There were photo sets of women, you know, in, in sexy photo sets, but that wasn't what it was all about. It was more about feminism, empowering ourselves, that sort of thing. And that was going on well before Facebook was even an inkling in this guy's mind. So I'm like, and it's still around. 
I'm not part of the Suicide Girls any longer. I left a long time ago, but that was so much more of an important social work network. The art that was done there, the community, all of that stuff. It's just not what he did was not, he was stealing from them, if anything, you know, uh, he just did it in a way that was elitist. He made it elitist. And now it's not elitist in the least. It's not cool anymore. I haven't been on Facebook. I haven't logged on the Facebook myself for months. I still have my profile up there, but I don't even use it any longer. Cause I'm like, it's crazy town. I can't, I can't even look <laughs> on it anymore. So, but yeah, no intellectual, intellectual property is a very real thing. Yeah, no, he's wrong. He's totally wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> No, I, I find that interesting, and I, I like that you have an actual chair uh, comparison, um, you know, with the the ghost chair there. Yeah, you know, as speaking on Facebook, I, I've never had a Facebook account. Awesome, um, I know I like my that. wife. My my wife uh, uses it a lot, and I think it has some good value in the sense of you know people um, connect. Um, you know, the internet, you know, in a, in a weird way, you know, it's, there, there's two sides to the internet. There's the part where you get to connect, like I was able to connect with you and the you yeah. know, people from Wrong Real and build these friendships, you know, even though we don't live, you know, near each other or, you know, sometimes not even in the same continent. And, you know, and I really value that. And it's like almost my second family, you know, like uh, all this uh, interaction I've had with, with you. Um, but then there's the other side of it where people just kind of, because there, there's so much, you know, you can kind of build your profile to whatever you want to build it to so it's not there's a there's a lot of lies behind it and you can attack people and you know whether it's making fun of them or or just being just plain mean and you know the the internet can be a very vicious place if you're if you have thin skin it's not the place for you um i mean i don't know if you've ever read any youtube comments but you know these people can get downright just just vicious and you know so there's that side of it too um you know so there's the positive and the negative side but yeah i've never just been compelled to be part of you know the facebook community you know i pretty much the, as far as I go is, is Twitter and, and a little Instagram, not very much, but a little bit, but, uh, and, and even on Twitter, I'm not even on it that much uh, anymore. You know, I kind of, you know, follow, I follow a lot of people, but the main people that I get, you know, kind of the bell rings for are just the, you know, the main group. And we have that, you know, kind of that DM on the yeah. side that I, I actually get more out of than, than anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting, you know, how it be- became such a um, a cultural staple, but that you know has never been so much for me. But I love this movie. That's about basically the creation of uh, Facebook. And another movie I can compare it to when you were talking about intellectual property is uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, the movie about um, the start of uh, Microsoft and whatnot. And they actually they stole a lot of the stuff from Xerox. Xerox was basically uh, giving them this information, and that's how they kind of created it but there's a very good movie um pirates of silicon valley a very good movie with uh no i think it's a tv movie with uh noah noah wiley and anthony michael hall uh, playing bill gates um uh, so everybody should check that out but it's it kind of has a very a lot of parallels to the to this film i think you know even though it's it's not shot not nearly as pretty and and you know the the soundtrack and all the acting and everything it's not as top-notch as this, but, you know, it's, it's very comparable. And, and again, like a, a story that's about, you know, ideas and, and you know, these uh, relationships that kind of fall apart, you know, because of, of power and, and, and maybe, you know, a little bit of greed. So um, just wrapping up, is there anything else that you'd like to say about The Social Network? I mean, it's just, it's a weird film in time. It was, I feel like it was weird when it came out, it came out in 2010, and it felt like it was too soon, right? We're like... Why is there a Facebook movie already? 
this is weird. And like, I mean, I really wouldn't have gone to see it unless it was Trent Reznor. And then like Fincher, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go see it because it's Trent Reznor. You know, I was like delighted by that. But I was like, this is weird because it felt like it was so new. In 2010, I was on Facebook. I just kind of started because everybody did this like migration from MySpace. MySpace ruled. It was so much fun. It was like, it was a coding fiasco, yes. But it, it was fun. There was no like, it didn't feel like um, confrontational like Facebook does because you just made your own page in your own little funny world. And then, of course, MySpace Tom, who was, I forget his last name, but the, the owner of it, he sold it for like half a million, half a billion, I think. And he just retired. He's not doing anything. He's just living his life being a guy, which is kind of cool. It's like, cause you don't need that much money. So he's just not working anymore. And he's just living and not contributing to this strange world, this strange social world that Zuckerberg is contributing to. So yeah, I think it's weird that like when it came out, it felt like it was kind of too soon. And now when you look at it, it's super strange because it feels too small. It's a great film. But what is happening in the world now with Facebook? And when you look at it, you're like, oh, you feel like a whiplash. Because I mean, Facebook is controlling, unfortunately, a lot of political situations, propaganda. Da, 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 da. There's, you know, sanctions, and then you know, Zuckerberg's been in front of Congress a bunch of times, right? Like with these 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 hearings, and it's just like, wow, that's happened in the past ten years since this movie came out. That's nutty. It's so it's like just watching it, kind of, it's like a warp. It's a it's a really strange thing because you. You finish watching it, you're like, wow, it's a great film, super cool, but it doesn't even feel like it's touching the surface of what Facebook is or has done to our, our culture has really been um, affected significantly, especially now during election seasons and things like that. So it's like, it's kind of like, it's not even telling like the story of what it is currently. Like there's going to be maybe a mini series or something someday, or maybe even like a, yeah, because to tell the story of the past 10 years of Facebook and what it's done to our world is it's a lot. It is a totally different story than the social network. Because social network is really about friendship, betrayal, and litigation, and how litigation is very, very difficult, can go on for years and kind of mess with your world. So like, it's a different story than what Facebook is about, but it is kind of a warp. It, it freaked me out because I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I was like, whoa, very whiplash feeling watching this. Sorkin's actually working on a sequel to uh, to the to the movie. I don't know if Fincher is attached, but I know Sorkin is working on to kind of hit on the, the things you were talking about because it has been ten years, you know, a decade, and a lot has happened since the end of that movie. Uh, you know, it does a little kind of a recap of you know where the the main players are now, but yeah, so much has happened with within the world, and you know, like you said, the politics and and the Congress and all all these different things, and the privacy and the ads and all these different things that that have happened. So I'm sure if Sorkin behind it, it's going to be you know I have all the confidence that it'll be just as engaging and just as interesting as as uh, this movie. So hopefully that sees the light of day, and who knows, maybe you know now that Sorkin's directing. And he was originally attached to direct this. You know, maybe he'll, um, he'll maybe he'll direct his his, his script. So that I'd love to see it. Fascinating if he did that. That would be amazing. Yeah. So uh, let me get your so out of ten. Can I get a score on on the social network for Leanne? Um, I give it like a I'd say like a an eight. Um, an eight. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's a really good film. It is a procedural, so some people like there's gonna be some people like like who are not gonna be delighted by the things and you're gonna be like, uh, court stuff. I get it. Like court stuff can be kind of dry, but I mean, they make it fun. So, but I give you like an eight. It's not like a, a masterpiece. I mean, if you're looking at Fincher's work overall, I mean, you could maybe say seven is above this or maybe like in cinematic, like 
importance uh or even like some of his music videos you could say like vogue is more important than this in like in a hundred years what will they think of about fincher will they think about his films his music videos which films uh so i would say like yeah to give it like an eight because it's really awesome but it's maybe like not a masterpiece but yeah absolutely worth your time absolutely worth your time because it's just it's a fun movie that's the thing it's a unfun subject that they make fun uh somehow <laughs> you know Good, great description. An unfun subject yeah. that they make fun. I think that's that. That should have been the tagline. For for me, you know, I I have so much love for this movie. I have so much love for Fincher. Um, you know, even a lot of the actors in this and uh, and Sorkin's work. So, I mean, it's a ten out of ten for me. I think it's a it's a modern masterpiece. It's probably in a three way tie with with uh, Seven. You know, when I'm talking about Fincher's films, and I did do a Fincher uh, or we did a Fight Club episode for Film Ninety Nine, oh, and we did run down our top five of of the Fincher, and I had a three way tie between. The Social Network, Seven, and Fight Club. They all, I mean, you, you can grab me on any given day and I'd probably say, you know, Seven is my, my favorite or, you know, this day Fight Club is my favorite. But they all are just, to me, just great movies. I watch them, you know, so often, you know, like it's, it, to me, that's a sign of a great movie is a, the rewatchability and the enjoyment that you get out of it. If you can take a film that you've seen, you know, 10, 20 times and still put it on and still get a kick out of it, you know, it's it's accomplished its ultimate goal of, of, of entertaining you and, you know, and capturing you. And as, as well as I think it's a good film also because it is PG-13. So yeah. if you have like a teenager and you want them to, like, you know, just get into like, just this is what adult films are about. Because this is an adult film that doesn't have any violence in it or anything like that. There's a few little sex scenes, but nothing... Nothing like overt, some drug stuff, like nothing. So I think this is like right. a good, like maybe introduction to like, this is what an adult film is. If you're, you know, a teenager or something, you probably will be interested in this, you know, and be like, this is what Facebook was at the beginning. And they'll be like, what? You know, like kind of the, their mind might be a little blown, but I think this is a great film for a younger person, for an adult, just introduction. Like, yeah, this, this will make you excited because... I don't know. I wouldn't show somebody like seven. That's a little intense. Even <laughs> even Fight Club is a bit much. Maybe I mean yeah. I saw that when I was in like you know when that came out was like end of high school or something. But right. you know like maybe not the best. But this is you can watch this with your parents. It's totally safe. It's, it's a great movie in that respect that you could just watch it with like anybody really. You know that that's an that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I know that they made uh, some concessions to get that PG thirteen. Mm. You know whether it was the sexual content drug content and also um some of the words you know because uh you know they had to change some of the stuff because i, I, I i'm not sure why but they you know I'm, I'm more of a person that just hey go for the r you know go for the movie that you're trying to make and you know um when somebody's when it's their time to see it they'll see it you know when they're ready for it and um you know because my my background is you know i was watching rated r movies from like the age of five and you know i know a lot of people probably think that that's like too young or, or whatever um i know my wife does thinks that's too young but i i really think it it really goes to the way you've been raised and if you can kind of separate film and what's happening on screen versus what you know you should do in life 
you know, as far as, you know, morals and are, you know, just even language and, 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 you know, all those different things, the, the mature themes that are in there, uh, you know, I think then if you can make those distinctions, then, you know, you're, you're okay. If you can't, or if you weren't, you know, really, you know, raised that way and, you know, you know, it can, it can mess you up, you know, it can influence you to, to, to do certain things, you know, maybe that, you know, you shouldn't, but, um, but again, that's just, that's my viewpoint, but I wanted to say, you know, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on film 89, you know, as your first appearance. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I love everything that you've done, all your podcast appearances and, you know, I've been listening to your um, your new podcast, Brush Creek Film Review. I think you guys are doing an awesome Thank job you. there, and it's, it's just so interesting. And you know, you, you you were the first person I thought of when I when I when I wanted to do this, and uh, because of your interest in and um, uh, Fincher, and also you know Trent Reznor and music, and, and and you had done the Fincher episode of the videos for Wrong Reel, which I thought was a great episode, and I just I loved it. So just thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to me about this. Well, thank you for having me. No, I mean, this is awesome. It's about time. And uh, no, I mean, this is just like, what do I like to talk about? I love, love to talk about Trent Reznor. I mean, you know, since I was like 14. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's one thing. And, and especially right now where it's just like a very fun time for him. He's winning Emmys and all that stuff, which is pretty wild. He's doing a Pixar film with Eddie Murphy. Like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a basically about this jazz a jazz singer who goes into the underworld. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, into the underworld. So it sounds very interesting. I'm like, hey, it's about time. He has five children. It's five babies under the age of 10. This guy needs money. So, um, you know, like that's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but, you know, like that's a lot of kids. So that's awesome that he's doing children's films kind of now, which is funny right. when you think about it. But hey, people evolve. If you're going to be the same person that you were when you're 22, that's okay, but he's not that guy. So I think it's cool that he's evolved so much in time and, you know, like Fincher, always awesome. And like, let's, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this new film that's going to be coming out mm, someday. We'll see it on VOD, I guess, someday. In our, right. in our Yeah, hey, it's going to come out and we're going to watch it in some respect. So that right. makes me happy that he's working on it. So, yeah, no, but I'm really happy that I was doing this. Thanks, guys, from, you know, Film 89 for letting us Americans have your handle <laughs> for a minute. It's very sweet of you. So, yeah, and I love your show. It's always it's always fun time, though. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of the of the show. Um, you know, I've been you know they've been so gracious in letting me be part of the team and and write for them and and you know have me on as a guest and you know I just think they do. It's just like sitting around a table or at a pub and just you know having a beer with some friends and just talking movies. You know their passion for it and their writings and their their podcast is just is just so infectious and I, and I love it. You know so you know these are I consider them like I said you know second family and these are hopefully li you know, lifelong friends and hopefully one day I'll be able to when traveling opens up yeah. again and I get some time I'll be able to make my way over to Wells and and you know have a proper uh, introduction to them. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we also want to thank all the fans, you know, for, for listening and, you know, for all the uh, feedback that we get um, at Film 89. You know, you guys have been great. You guys are the lifeblood of, of the podcast and, and the site. Um, and if you like what you heard, you know, please leave a review on iTunes uh, for the Apple Podcasts. And also we are now available on Amazon Music. So, you know, um, you know, visit the site, you know, comment and, you know, if you liked what you heard, you know, tweet it out and, you know, get get some exposure and um, we'd really appreciate it. But, uh, you know, that's that's the end of the episode here. So, you know, I had a bunch of fun. I want to thank Leanne again for coming along for this journey for me and last off to sign off. So, you know, everybody stay safe, stay happy. And most of all, and most importantly, stay classy. Mm -hmm.